So if someone woke up from a, a coma, after having been in a coma for five years, uh, I'm sure they'd find a few surprises, wouldn't they? Donald Trump is president of the United States? What? Is this real? I'm not making like a political judgment there, but I'm just saying you'd be surprised, wouldn't you? Uh, people, grown men tweet. They go about their day tweeting. What, what happened? Uh, there's this movement, a growing movement of people who actually believe the earth is flat. Have you heard of this? There's just a new documentary out of Netflix this week, and I've heard of this group. I went on YouTube, like, are these people legit? There's a, there's a growing group of people who believe that, that the claim the earth is a globe that revolves around the sun is fake news. Fake news. If that's one of you, I mean, no judgment on you, but, but really, um, really. Uh, you might be surprised to hear that in the last uh, uh, United States election, Russia tried to influence and maybe influence the outcome of the election. How? Spies, espionage, weaponry, Facebook posts. Facebook posts. This is the world we're in. You, and, and, and if you would have woken up after five years in a coma, you would have heard words you'd never heard before. Fake news. Fake news. Alternative facts. Post-truth. Things that had never been uttered before. These are new terms. Uh, fake news. We, I remember growing up as a kid, I was a bit of a, a news junkie even as a kid. Um, my, my last words were always, good night, Lloyd. You know, Lloyd, Lloyd Robertson. He always ended with good night, and my last words were always, good night, Lloyd. Um, so you maybe chose to, to, uh, to listen to Lloyd Robertson or Peter Mansbridge because you liked one person's voice over another. But nowadays, you, you pick your news outlet based on which you think is true and, and, and which isn't giving you the fake news. That's fake news over there. We don't listen to them. We listen to this, we get our information here. So we're bombarded with this idea of fake news. And that's a new term, maybe it's a bit of a new phenomenon, but maybe not. Uh, the book of James, written almost 2,000 years ago that we're going through together as a church, I think was written to address fake news. James wrote this letter uh, to counter what he thought was fake faith. He wrote this letter to invite us into and to show us what real faith looked like and to reject fake faith. If you have your Bible with you, turn to James chapter two. We're gonna look at verses 14 to verse 26. We'll have the words up on the screen here. If you don't uh, have a Bible of your own, we'd love to put one in your hands. If you go to the Welcome Center after the service, we'd love to give you a Bible. James chapter two, starting at verse uh, 14. Now, this passage, if you only know or have heard a little bit of James, it probably came from these verses. These are the most theologically significant and the most controversial words in James' letter. Verses uh, 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if, any, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not your father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? We see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay. Now there might have been something you heard in there that sent some alarm bells ringing because you thought the Bible said something different. Maybe you read verse 24. That's the verse that might be the summary verse of James' whole argument here when he says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. You might say, hold on here. I thought the Bible said that we were justified, we were considered right with God apart from our works by faith alone. Isn't that what Paul said? Yeah, it is. It is. Look at these two verses side by side. If you look at them at a glance, it almost seems like they're saying the opposite thing. James says a person is justified by what they do and not by faith alone. Paul says a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law, apart from what they do. So what is going on here? Is James talking about something totally different, a different gospel? This is a really important question. I don't think he is. I think what James is doing uh, for us, what he wants us to see is the gospel in 3D. Now 3D stands for three-dimensional. To see something in 3D is to see something as it really is, right? To, to, to see something in 3D, you need to say, see the same thing from two different vantage points, from two, two different perspectives, right? So if you see uh, a, a glass or a, a can of pop straight on from that vantage point, you would say a can of pop is a rectangle. If you look at it from the top, you would say it's a circle. And when you put those two vantage points together looking at the same thing, you see that a can of pop is actually a cylinder. You see it from what it really is, but you're only able to do that by looking at it from two different perspectives. If you've ever gone to a 3D movie, you've worn those glasses, right? And what allows you to see that image in 3D? It's that each lens is different. 
a different color. It does something different so that when this eye sees it, it's a little bit different than this eye sees it, the same thing. And the brain, by the wonder of God's creation, takes those images and puts them together and you actually see it in 3D for what it actually is. I mean, this is why God, in, in his love for us, gave us two eyes, right? He could, why, why did God give us two eyes and not just one eye right in the middle, one big eye, right? It's because God, in order to see something rightly, you need to see it from two different perspectives. That's what allows you to see it in 3D. So, I mean, if you covered one eye and you look through binoculars, you ever tried to do that? Of course not, because you're not a freak, right? And, <laughs> but if you cover one eye with, with, with your other eye, um, you can see, but you can't see very well. It's really tough to get depth perception with just one eye. It's the fact that you have two eyes focusing on the same thing that allows you to see it better. See it for what it really is. And I think this is what James is doing here. He's, he's saying, I want to show you guys the gospel as it really is. The gospel in 3D. So he's giving us the other perspective on the same thing, the good news of God. Uh, Paul and James, they're describing the same thing from different perspectives because they are fighting different types of fake news. Now, Paul, he was fighting fake news that we might call legalism. What's legalism? Legalism says, I gain standing, gain favor with God based on my own works. If, I, if I'm a good enough person, if I do enough good, I can gain God's acceptance and God's favor. I relate to God based on my own efforts. That's legalism. And, and, and Paul says, that's fake news. That's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is not faith, believing in Jesus, added to my efforts, my work, equals right standing with God, salvation. Right? The true gospel, Paul says, is that faith, apart from anything we do, apart from any of our works, by faith alone in Jesus and what he has done for us, we are made acceptable to God, he forgives our sins, and he gives us the great gift of eternal life. And this is what Jesus said, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, not believes and works hard, does enough good, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. This is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight and nine. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul says, the true gospel is that we are saved, we are made right with God by faith in Jesus apart from any of our own works, any of our own actions. That led some people in, in, in Paul's day, in James' day, and, and, and even today, to conclude that what we do then doesn't matter all that much. It just doesn't matter. Uh, James here in verse 18, he introduces this antagonist, okay, that he's gonna have this conversation with. He says, uh, someone will say, hey, James, you have faith, I have deeds. Different strokes for different folks, okay? Choose one or the other. You're into works, I'm into faith. Different ways of doing it, okay? In other words, he's saying, someone might think that these two things are not connected, faith and works, they're two totally separate things. James is saying, fake news. 
Fake news. He's fighting the fake news in this letter and certainly in this text we might call license. If there were some that bought into this idea that we have to earn God's favor by our own efforts, legalism, this is the other end of the fake news. Which says, hey, if I'm right with God, if all God asks for me to do is to have faith in Jesus, to believe in him, then it doesn't really matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. I have license to do whatever because I'm saved by faith. But Paul or James says here in verse 17, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith that isn't followed by action is dead. It's not real faith, he says. So, so the fake news is that faith equals salvation without any works accompanied with it. He says the true gospel, the gospel in 3D, is that faith in Jesus Christ leads to right standing with God and leads to action, deeds, works in our life. It's lived out. Essentially, James is saying here in this text, he's saying we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. That's what he's saying. We're saved by faith alone, but that faith that saves us does not remain alone. It brings with it a new way of living. It brings with it action. James insists that where you find one, you're going to find the other. I've got a couple trees in my backyard that are um, apple trees. Thank you, porchers, for planting those apple trees. They're lovely. We bought the Portress house, but you can have them back now, okay? They're I mean, the first one million apples were great, but really, how many apples can a person eat? We got these two awesome trees in our backyard, and um, they make apples. And I don't know how many times this last summer, I went out there with a wheelbarrow and filled it full of apples to haul them away. Um, probably eight times. It was, it was incredible. Uh, so, so that tree produces apples in my yard. Why? Okay, this isn't a skill testing question. Why does that tree produce apples? Because it's an apple tree. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Did it become an apple tree when it produced apples? Did it become an apple tree because it produced apples? No. It was an apple tree. And because it was an apple tree, it produced apples. So that an apple tree does. Now, now, if that same tree next year, it produces no leaves and no apples, and you know, some years it produces more than others. The, 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 the summer before, there weren't nearly as many apples. But if next summer there were no apples and there were no leaves, and then the summer after that, again, there were no leaves and there were no apples, and then the summer after that, there were no leaves and there were no apples, what would I conclude? We would conclude that this tree is dead. Now, now, is it the presence of apples on the tree that gives it life? Now, life does not come to the tree through apples. The problem with the tree is not the fruit. The problem of the tree was the root, right? It's not the presence of apples that makes the tree alive. It's simply a sign that it is alive. Life comes from the roots, and so... Um, 
Paul here, or how many times? If you had a dollar for every time I'm going to say Paul instead of James throughout the series, you will be a rich person. I am sorry. James says, if you have faith as the root, you will have works as the root. Fruit. (laughs) Who wants to do this? Anyone else? Anyone else? (laughs) If you have faith as the fruit, you will... (laughs) If you have faith as... See, I tried to get all clever and rhyme, and this is what happens. If you have faith as the root, you will have works as the fruits, people. I set the bar really low. I set the bar really low. (laughs) I mean, this is even when Jesus, the same Jesus said that um, you receive eternal life, you're made right with God by believing in him. The same Jesus also said you will know them by their fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. So, so, so James isn't saying, okay, now you have faith. Now start doing good stuff. He's saying, if you have faith, you will live that out. It will be evidenced in the way you act in the presence of fruit in your life. So what, what he's saying is our actions don't contribute to our salvation. They are the evidence of that relationship with God. Uh, so another way of putting it is this way. Works are not an addition to our faith. They are the authentication of our faith, that our faith is real. It has saved us. He says in Verse 18, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Sure, you you can claim to have faith and and, and not provide any evidence of that. I'm gonna show you that my faith is real by the way I live my life because that's the only way I can do it. That's the only evidence that there is. I will show you my faith by my deeds. So James, he's contrasting a faith that produces no works because it's inherently defective. It's not real. It's dead and one that is real because it does produce works. It is genuine. So uh, in, in these verses, he's, he's gonna show us what real faith isn't and then what it is. What real faith isn't. Real faith is not something you say, James says. In verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, not that someone has faith, but someone says they have faith and yet has no deeds, can such faith save them? And then he goes on to say, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. So he's talking here about people that are like, have this incredibly urgent need. They don't have food even enough to feed their family this evening. They don't have a coat to go out in this weather. Like he's not, he's not talking about someone who's driving a Kia instead of a Mercedes Benz. Not that sort of urgent need, nothing against Kias. Kias are great. <coughs> Says someone who drives a Ford Focus, right? I'd love, a Kia would be great. Uh, He's talking about a scenario here where where someone is in urgent need and then someone who claims to have faith, he says, comes to them and says to them, go in peace, 
Keep warm and well fed. Now those words, go in peace, they might sound familiar because Jesus says them often. In the Old Testament, the prophets, the priests said them often. This, this was like the religious terminology. This is why often at the end of a service, I might, might say something like, go in peace. What he's saying here is your language is religious. You've picked up on, you know, you've got the right prayers. You know how to navigate the Christian community. You know, maybe you grew up in church and, and, you've, and you know the vernacular. You know, how to, you, know, you know what to do and when to do it and how to say it. Um, you know, when people are baptized, and, and for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, but you, you haven't been baptized yet, now's your time. Now's your time. March 24th is the next opportunity for baptisms. Come speak with me if, if you need to be baptized. Uh, but, but when we do baptisms and at times when the person shares their story, what I find very powerful is when someone begins their story, I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up in the church. Now, normally when you hear that, you think, all right, check out, boring, right? Come on, be honest, boring. We like those stories, man. I was living on the streets snorting coke every night. Ooh, this is gonna be a good one. The power of God to transform someone's life. And that's true, it is amazing. But I find it equally amazing when someone gets up and says, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up immersed in all of this. All the vernacular, all the language, all the forms and the rituals and everything. And I have put my faith, real faith, in Jesus Christ. That's amazing. Because it's easy, James says, just to kind of grow up surrounded by this stuff, moving off the coattails of your parents' faith or whatever, going through the motions, saying you have faith, but that not being reflected in the way you actually go about living your life. He says real faith is not something that you say. Knowing the right words, he says, can just function as religious cover for our failure to act as Christians. Real faith is not something you say. He says, real faith is not something you feel. Now sometimes as Christians, we put a lot of stock in the way we feel, right? They, oh, the way I, I, I feel this, therefore this must be, this must mean there's something real behind this. You know, we come to, to, to church and, 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 and you know, we're stirred by the music as, as I mean, I often am, and I, I hope you are too. You listen on the radio and maybe even like wave your hand like this. Like that would be okay. You know that, right? You, could, you should try it sometime. It, it's awesome. You know, and you put on your TV program and, and you hear these encouraging words from Voice Meyer and you're like, oh, yes. Oh, this is so good. I need to hear this. And, it, and you know, you, you, you feel these things. And he's talking about this guy who doesn't have real faith, but he's feeling these things. Coming back to this scenario in verse 16, he says, if one of you says to this, this destitute brother in your presence, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but doesn't do anything about their actual physical needs, what good is it? He's saying, you know, you can do that and you can, and you can have all the pity and you can have all the sympathy and boy, the situation can really tug on your heartstrings and you say, I'm gonna pray for you, but do you really? I mean, how often do we say, it's just a reflex. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for you. And I hope we do. Um, <clears throat> but he's talking about feelings not being followed up with action. 
He says, real faith is not something you feel. There was a woman in Blind River where I pastored before coming here, and when she was a a young mom, she had five kids, she was abandoned by her husband, and she was recounting to me the pain of being in a church full of people who had the means to help her, and they knew her situation, and she would drag these five kids to church, and she would get people coming up to her and going, oh, Liz, you know, it's so tough. We're praying for you. We're praying for you, God bless you, meet all of your needs. And she said, I just wanted to strangle some of those people. I don't know if she said that. But, but she was recounting this years later and she said, all I needed was potatoes, not prayer. I needed action. I needed help. And all I got was sympathy, pity. And what he's saying here is, guys, real faith is not something you feel, it's something you do. In fact, um, kind of alongside with that story, I, I might have shared this story once before. Tony Campolo is a well-known Christian speaker. He speaks his mind. Um, he, he, he recounts how he was at this conference, this ladies' conference. He was a keynote speaker. And after he spoke, um, the, the president of the conference came up and shared a missionary letter presenting an urgent request of $4,000 to take care of this emergency need that had arisen. And so the president, after sharing that, said, okay, um, Brother Campolo, would you come and would you pray that God will provide the resources to meet this urgent need? And Tony Campolo said, no. And she was kind of startled. She said, I, I beg your pardon. And he says, no, I'm not gonna pray for that. He says, I believe God's already provided the resources. All we need to do is to give it. Tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna step up to this table and I'm gonna give every bit of cash I have in my pocket and if all of us do the same, I think maybe God has already provided for this need. And so the president kind of chuckled a little bit and said, well, I guess we get the point. He's trying to teach us about that we all need to give sacrificially and he said, no, that's not what I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to teach you that God's already provided for this missionary. All we need to do is to act. All we need to do is to to give it. We are the answer to the need. Here, I'm gonna put down all the money I have in my wallet. He didn't know how much he had and he was relieved to find it was only $15. So he took out his $15 and he put it on the table and then the president did the same and she had $40 and she put it in the table and slowly one by one the rest of the ladies in the conference came up and they opened their purses and they put on the table what they had and when it was all done they got together and they found it was a little more than $4,000 just to meet this need. And then Tony Campolo said, now here's the lesson. God always supplies for our needs and he supplied for this missionary too. The only problem was we were keeping it for ourselves. Now let's pray and thank God for his provision. And to me, that's that's a powerful little story. Um, God calls us real faith, doesn't, doesn't feel, doesn't even just pray. Real faith, he says, moves, it acts. In fact, after sharing this in the first service, someone came up to me. And um, that gave me the little uh, prayer form for, for Paul Emmer there. And with, with she, she had opened her purse and whatever was in it she was gonna give. So she handed me 10 bucks to give to, uh, to, prayer, to, to Paul Emmer for his ministry. So there's a need before you. So anyway, if some, any of you wanna do the same, you know, a toonie or if maybe, maybe you're the sort of guy that carries a couple hundreds in there, I don't know. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> but I, okay, there, there was some right away because at the end of the sermon, I'm gonna say, now what do you need to do with this? Real faith is not something that you feel. Real faith is not something that you even believe. Now Jesus said, if you believe, you will be saved. 
but what he tells us is real faith is not something that you just believe. He, he'll go on to say here in verse 19, you believe that there is one God, good. Now, why does he, why does he say, uh, kind of focus on this belief that there's one God? It's because these were Jewish background believers. And uh, any good Jew back then and even today, if you go into a synagogue, they pray a special prayer twice a day. It's called the Shema. It's the most important statement in, in the Jewish faith. And we have it way back in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. This was the foundational doctrine that, that, that they believed in. Not like all those, all those other multiple gods, all those other nations that believed these different things. We know that God is one and the Lord, Yahweh, is God. And this is what they prayed twice a day. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. It, it was kind of like reaffirming their statement of faith. The Lord is one. And he comes and he says, you pray that, you know that prayer you pray every day? The Lord is one. He says, that's great. But, guess what? Everything you believe the demons believe. He says, you believe there's one God good. Even, even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the best theologian in the world is Satan? Have you ever thought about the fact that if Satan or any demon went to seminary, they would be valedictorian of the class? Because they would ace every assignment because they know the truth. In fact, if you look into the Gospels, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter one, like verse 24, somewhere in there, the very first person in the Gospel of Mark that proclaims the truth of who Jesus is, is a demon. He says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God, before any other human being said that. It was the demon, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He says, even, even the demons believe all the truth about who God is and who Jesus is and the way to come to God and they know that better than you do and they shudder. That word is kind of like, they recoil, they bristle at that. It's, it's like what you would feel if, if your wife said, I got two tickets to the orchestra for next weekend. <laughs> right? Rusty, I, I crocheted you a sweater. <laughs> right? <There's> that feeling. <laughs> He says, they believed, but they didn't respond. They didn't respond to that belief with real faith. In other words, he's saying, it's not enough just to believe the right things. Maybe you've met the sort of person. Maybe you are the sort of person. You know, your, you know the truth. You know your theology. I mean, you know the Bible backwards and forwards. Maybe you've been a Sunday school teacher for years. And you know it. And maybe you've known a person like that and yet they do not live out the truth in their own lives. That is not made manifest. Their faith is not evidenced in the way they act. Someone has said, it's a good thing to possess an accurate theology but it is unsatisfactory unless that good theology also possesses us. That's what James is saying. That's great that you believe. What do you do with that? He says real faith is something you do. It's something you do. And he gives a couple of examples and we don't have much time to unpack them but he talks about Abraham. 
Abraham, who was an old man, and Sarah, who was an old woman past childbearing age, they had no children, and God comes and says, I'm, I'm choosing you, and from you I'm gonna make a great nation. I'm gonna give you a son, and out of you will come this great nation. And he gave this, this word, this promise to Abraham, and Abraham, in Genesis 15, 6, James quotes these words, Abraham believed what God had said and, he, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He had faith. And James says, how do we know he had faith? How do we know his faith was real? How do we know he truly believed? Well, years later when God had now given him this son, this precious son, the son of the promise, Isaac, God came with another word and said, I want you to take this son, the son of the promise I've given you, and I want you to go up this mountain that I'm gonna show you, and I want you to lay him on an altar and sacrifice your son to me. And what did Abraham do? He took his boy, and he took a rope, and he took firewood, and he went up on, he walked with Isaac up to the mountain, and Isaac said, Dad, where?" Where's the, where's the lamb? And he said, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide the ram. And so when they get to the top, you know how the story ends, right? Before Abraham can do what God asked him to do, God stops him and provides this ram because God's never gonna ask you to take your own child's life. He's, he's showing Abraham, I'm a different sort of God. I'm the sort of God that doesn't ask for your kid. I'm the sort that provides my own son for you, that you might have life. He gives, he provides this this ram, and he says, okay, you have real faith. Your faith is authenticated by what you do, by the way you act. Real faith is visible. You will See it. I mean, it's hard to see faith. You can't see faith. It's like calories, right? It's not like someone said, real faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can see the result of them, right? You can't see faith, but you can see the evidence of faith. You can see the result of faith, if it be real. What will it look like to have real faith what are these works? And is he talking about just the law, the Ten Commandments, you know, following all this Old Testament law and these acts and these rituals and observing these days and all of these things? Is he talking about the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament law? No, I don't think so. A few verses earlier at the beginning of James chapter two, he had talked about the royal law, the highest royal law in the kingdom of God, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And when he gives this example about loving a brother who is in desperate need by acting, I think what James is saying is that works are a life of loving God and loving others. What are these works he's talking about? It's a life of loving God and loving others. The product of real faith is striving to love God and to love others even if imperfectly, and we all do it imperfectly. But he says real faith will be evidenced in a striving to love God and to love others. As Paul said in Galatians 5, 6, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Why? Because that's what faith does, and if it's not expressed in love, it's not 
real faith. Faith acts, faith obeys. Obedience is God's love language. Maybe you've read that, that book, The Five Love Languages, Gary Chapman. You know, there's different ways we give and receive love, acts of service, gifts, touch, words of affirmation, quality time, I think they are. Um, and we all have different ways that we receive and, and give love and it's helpful in marriage and relationship to know how you receive it and, and how your partner receives that. What James is saying, what Jesus said to his disciples over and over again in John 14 before he went to die on the cross, it was his last words with his disciples. He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If you love me, you will keep my commands. He says it over and over again. Love, true love, true faith acts. Obedience is God's love language, James says. Jesus says. I mean, God didn't, God, Jesus never said, if you love me, you will worship me. If you love me, you will serve me. If you love me, you will read the Bible and every morning and pray. If you love me, you will give. I mean, all of that's good, what he said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. You will act in love towards God and towards one another. Love pays the price. Love always has a cost. This man, when, 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 this, when this destitute brother came to him, he was willing to give prayer, but he wasn't willing to pay a cost. Love, true love, always pays a cost. The early church, Acts chapter four. Man, I just love the picture of the first church. They were so full of God's love. It says that uh, God's grace was so powerfully at work within them that no one among them had any need. No one had, every need was met. Why? Because God's grace was so at work and had so transformed their lives and they were so aware of the love of God for them that caused Jesus to lay himself down that they in turn laid themselves down for one another in love. God's grace was powerfully at work in them. They had real faith, real faith. In closing, John says, 1 John 3 says something kind of along the lines of what James said. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What is love? Well, we have a perfect picture of love. Our Lord Jesus, while we were sinners, he laid down his life for us. Not because we were particularly special or worthy, we weren't, but because he loved us. And he loved us so much, he was willing to do what had to be done to help us in our need, to save us. And love caused him to pay the biggest price, to lay down his life for you and for me. We know what love is. He says, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? He's not saying, you know God's love. Now smarten up and start loving people. He's saying, you know the love of God, right? Yeah, you know the love of God. And if you know the love of God, if that be in you, and if that is transformed and is transforming your heart, that's gonna flow out of you. And that's gonna lead to a life given 
to, to loving God and to loving others, a life that's willing to pay the price to do what you can do for others, it's gonna show itself. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. Real faith is not about words and speech, it's about actions. So what do we do with all of this? I think the only thing we can do is, in, in response to this, is we have to examine ourselves. Right? Each one of us, we have to examine ourselves. Is my faith real faith? Is my faith just that, is my fake, does my, my, my faith, is, is it just something that says? Is it just something that feels? Is it just something that believes? And if so, he says, maybe it's fake faith. Is my faith the faith that acts? Does my life show that I'm striving to love God and to love others, even though imperfectly? Even though imperfectly? Is there evidence of that in my life? This is the question to ask yourself, first off. What, what evidence do you see in your life that your confession of faith in Christ is real? And, and if you're not sure it is, I mean, if you're to be honest and you're not sure, then, then you need to respond by confessing your sin to God and putting real faith, real trust in Jesus for your salvation. And if that's something you would want to talk more about, then there's a, there's a group of people in the prayer room that would be happy to talk with you and to pray with you. What evidence do you see in your life that your confession of faith in Christ is real? And if you're really brave over lunch, at cravings or wherever you're gonna go, ask the person across from you in the table, what evidence do you see in my life that my faith is real? That's only if you're brave. And then ask yourself this, what is one practical way you can put your faith to action and love someone in need this week? As you go from here, how might God be speaking to you? How can you go about acting out your faith, responding to the situations and the needs around you, showing that your faith is real faith, that you know the love of God? As the band comes up here to to close us with, with some music, I just invite you into a time of prayer. If you want to bow your head and close your eyes, you can do that. You don't have to. I just want to give you an opportunity to talk to God in the quietness of your own heart for a moment. I invite you to take a moment to just begin by thanking Christ for laying down his life in love for you. He didn't have to do that. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son that if you would just believe in him, if you would just receive him, God would give you the gift of eternal life. take a moment to thank God for his love for you. And just take another moment to say to God, God, help me. Help me to, to love you and to love those around me. Help me to act out my faith. Just say to God, just reaffirm, God, I want to live a life 
of love for you and love for those around me. I want to do that. Help me live that life. Take a moment to ask of that. And lastly, just ask God, God, is, is, when I go from here, is there something, is there some way, very specific way that you would call me to respond to this message, to act out my faith? Is there some need around me right now that I can be used to meet, Lord? Just show me how to live this up this week.